All right, we are in week two of a three-week series on angels and demons. Last week, our pastor to families talked about the reality and the biblical teaching on angels and the spiritual world. Next week, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, how we as spirit-filled believers are empowered, enabled, guided, uh, led into God's work in and through our lives. But today, we're going to talk about maybe the, the most difficult of the three, and that is the evil realm, the demonic forces at work in our world. And here's where I want to start. I hope that we can all start on this foundation together, that the demonic world is a reality, and the Bible teaches us truth about what we need to know and how we can be prepared as we face that reality. Now, the world we live in, we're inundated with things about the demonic world, movies and TV shows and books and just our culture at large. And a lot of the stuff that we receive is so twisted. You know, I'm looking around right now as I walk through the stores and we're getting closer to Halloween and, you know, right there next to the, the Christmas decorations, you've got the Halloween decorations. And y'all, some of that stuff is twisted, and some of the stuff that we embrace is really just so twisted. And we find ourselves in one of two places. Either we look at the stuff that's so sensationalized and we convince ourselves that none of it is true. Or we get so uh, enamored with it that we obsess over it and we believe things that are not biblical. And so what we want to do is we want to see what is the biblical truth about the demonic realm. Now, if you're anything like me, we, we kind of f step into this trepidatiously, like I I'm not really sure. As a matter of fact, until a couple of years ago, I would have just kept this at uh, not just an arm's length, but a distant length from me. So a couple of years ago, I was having breakfast with a friend of mine, Josh. He was leaving the next day to go to a third world country where he and his family were gonna live for three years as missionaries. And we were meeting uh, under the golden arches, which is where you wanna have breakfast if you're gonna keep it classy. And you're gonna have uh, breakfast with a friend that you're not gonna see for the next three years, but that's where we decided to meet and we're having breakfast and we encountered this guy and we could tell there was something off with him. Now, at this point in my life, I had done ministry uh, even then for several years I had encountered a lot of people under the influence of drugs and alcohol addiction, and I had encountered a lot of people with mental illness, and I, I know how to spot those two things, and this was something different. And so we began to talk with a guy, and sometimes you just, you, there's a spiritual truth that you just become aware of that something was not right, and so we bought him breakfast, and he sits down, and we both felt compelled that we needed to start sharing the gospel with him. And so we started to, to share the gospel. And every time we said the name of Jesus, he would look at the ceiling and his eyes rolled back in his head. So you only could see the whites of his eyes and he would start shaking. And then he would kind of come back to reality and he'd begin to weep and he would begin to say, please help me. I, I, I'm not in control. You know, and at this point in my life, y'all, I was super uncomfortable with this kind of thing. Like, I'm like, if I could have like left imprints on the table with my hands, I would have. And I really wasn't sure what's going on. But the truth is, is since that time, I've encountered some things in my own life that I never thought I would encounter. And I've walked through things with many of you 
that I never thought that you would walk through that has proven to me that these things are a reality. And we need to be aware of it and we need to be prepared for it. So what does the Bible teach us about the demonic realm? Well, first we need to understand that there is a spiritual world of good and light and there's a spiritual world of darkness and evil. But don't be confused All of it, everything in the universe has one creator. That God stands over and above all things. And y'all, there is never in doubt, there's never a question of who wins at the end because only one can say that he is the Lord of it all, creator of it all. And so it begs the question, where do the dark forces of evil come from? If we've got a good and loving and perfect and holy God, where does this come from? Well, there were some spiritual forces that were meant to be ruling over the universe under God's reign, under God's authority. And at some point along the way, they decided to rebel against God. In fact, the Bible teaches us that there are at least four moments of rebellion where angelic forces rebelled against God and they fell from their position. So I'm going to walk through those with us real quickly so we know the foundation of what we're dealing with. Four angelic falls. The first one happens in Genesis chapter 3. And there we find a serpent. The word is Nahash. It can mean serpent or dragon, which if you're a Bible scholar and you like Revelation, that should cue for you. There's a dragon in the book of Revelation as well. But there's a serpent or dragon who has rejected God. Isaiah 14 tells us that this angel was in the spiritual courts of God and saw the throne of God as a place where he wanted to sit and let a, instead of God sitting there. And so he rebelled against God and he's thrown out of heaven. In fact, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 10 that he saw this serpent figure, the Hasatan, the, the devil, Satan, fell from heaven like lightning. That's the first rebellion, the first fall. The second is in Genesis chapter 6, the corruption and the Nephilim. And here in Genesis chapter 6, we see that the sons of God, rebelling against God, come to earth and they lay with the women of Eve and Adam. Why? Because they want to disrupt the promises of God that a Messiah is coming. Back up to Genesis chapter 3, we find what's called the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, where God says to the serpent, because you have done this, one who is coming from Eve, who's going to crush your head. Well, if you know that one is coming from Eve that's going to crush your head, what do you do? You try to stop that one from coming. And this was an attempt of the evil forces of darkness to stop this one from coming. They came, they got with the women, the daughters of Adam and Eve, to disrupt this one from coming. And there was giants literally walking the earth. This is where they came from. A third fall from the angels or rebellion against God is a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 11 where we discover something called the Tower of Babel. All the humans on earth, they gather together and they build this tower. Why? Because they want to make a name for themselves and they want to get to heaven. Now, why do they want to get to heaven? Because in their worldview, that's the place where God resided. That God's counsel was in an elevated place. They often saw it as a mountaintop. And they wanted to get to that place, not because they thought that they could be God, but they thought if we can reach God, then we can manipulate God to get what we want. And before we wave too many fingers, how often do we approach God in the same way 
That somehow if I do the right things, say the right things, believe the right things, that maybe I can manipulate God to get him to do what I want. And this is the very same thing happening here. And God sees what's happening and he sees an angelic force behind it, these fallen angels that are pushing this agenda. And so he wipes it out. He divides them according to what? According to the courts of heaven, the sons of God. And we discover in Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 82 that God put angelic forces to oversee those nations. It's called the table of nations. But instead of serving God, they wanted to serve themselves. Rather than pushing people to worship God, they wanted to be worshiped themselves. And God rejected them. And they were fallen. Begins to to answer some questions, right? As you read through scripture, as you look through history, where do all these idols and false gods come from? Ra and Baal and Astra and Dagon and others. People didn't just make it up. It came from somewhere. And there were forces of darkness animating themselves in the world and people were worshiping them. And then the fourth fall comes in Revelation chapter 12 where some point, we're not sure if it was at the birth of Jesus or maybe it's still a time to come, but at least one third of the angelic realm is gonna turn to Satan. They're gonna look at God and Satan. They're gonna put their weight behind Satan and follow him and they too are gonna fall and rebel against God. Now this reveals for us At least four tiers, just like last week we saw there were tiers of angels and their roles and authority. There's tiers in the dark forces as well. Uh, We see the Hasatan, the Satan. It means the accuser or the adversary. At the top, Jesus says he's the ruler of this world. And he's ruling over. He's got an agenda to attack God, to come against God, but he is a created being. So he is not all knowing. He's not everywhere. He's not all powerful. He needs some help. And so there's some other angels that, that serve along with him. And some of those are the ones that were set to rule over the nations that wanted to be worshiped rather than worship. And they're in this, this story as well. The, the rulers of the nations that we look around this world, y'all, there are dark forces Do not deceive yourself or be naive. There are dark forces behind the powers of this world. And then there are fallen angels as just a generic term. At least one third of the angelic forces have joined with Satan. And then there's this fourth category that we're going to dive in today where there are disembodied spirits that we find in the New Testament Disembodied spirits that are joined with Satan to embrace his agenda, to attack God, to attack God's people because they are angry with God for creating humanity that he would join with us. Now, the New Testament calls these demons. Where do they come from? Perhaps they're the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. Perhaps they come from somewhere else. But what we need to know is that there are spirits at work in the world that are serving Satan and his agenda, and we need to be aware of it and prepared for it. So what do we know about these demons? Well, as you look through the New Testament, the first thing that we should notice is that Jesus believed in them. How do I know that? It's because Jesus encountered them, he interacted with them, and he showed his power and authority over them. He is often engaging with the demonic forces. In fact, as you read through the gospels, two times Jesus gives the disciples, the 12 disciples, he gives them authority to cast out demons. 
As you look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, the synoptic gospels, that means they mirror one another. You weave those stories together and you'll find seven, and in the Bible, seven is the number of completion. You'll find seven encounters that Jesus himself has with demons. Two of those times, it's just a generic statement that Jesus cast out many demons. But five of those, we get details to the story. One of those times Jesus is walking into a synagogue and he encounters a man possessed by a demon and the man begins to shout at and attack Jesus and Jesus cast him out. Another time Jesus encounters one called legion, meaning, meaning many who's, who's possessing a man, Jesus cast him out. Uh, another time Jesus uh, encounters a young boy who has seizures and throws himself to the fire over and over and over and Jesus says, this is a demon and cast it out. Another time, Jesus encounters one who is mute, and Jesus declares this is a demon. He casts it out. And finally, he, declare, he encounters one who has made a man mute and blind, and he calls it a demon, and he casts it out. Now, I've done the work for you. I'd love for you to, to go and see these. So we're going to post all of those and some, also some um, conversations Jesus has with the religious leaders and what Jesus says about demons. We're going to post all of that on social media this week uh, through the GetWell account. So make sure you check that out and you can do some further study. But what is it that Jesus reveals to us about the demonic world that you and I need to be aware of, that we can use to be prepared for the spiritual battle that we're in? To do that, we're going to pull one of those five and we're going to pull it out and we're going to look at it more closely in Mark chapter 5. Verses 1 through 20. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. 
As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and begged to tell the to tell him, or began to tell him the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. All right, so here in the story, I want us to see five truths that are revealed to us about the demonic world that you and I need to be aware of. Here's the first, is that demons look for a body to inhabit. Demons are disembodied spirits looking for a body to inhabit each and every one of the accounts that Jesus has in the gospels is with a demon that is embodying a human being. In fact, Jesus, as he's teaching about demons, says that demons are looking for a body to inhabit. We need to be aware of this. Because demons are at work to attack the human race. They're angry with God. They're rebelling against God. And we're caught in the crosshairs. This makes them different from the fallen angels, still a part of the, the evil forces of darkness. But they are of a specific role and they are at work in the world around us. And the second truth that we see is that demons possess a supernatural knowledge. Right, what's going on here? Uh, they possess this man. It's a legion. Uh, at this time, it would have been five or 6,000, most likely. It's at least 2,000 because they inhabit 2,000 pigs. But a, a number of them inhabiting this man. And as soon as Jesus gets anywhere close, what do they say? Jesus, what are you doing here? Right, we don't want, no, no, go, right? Because they know who Jesus is. Before they ever encountered him in this moment, they had a knowledge of who Jesus is. They have a knowledge, apparently, of geography. They said, don't send us to a faraway place. Why? Because they also have a will. They have a purpose. They have something they wanted to accomplish, and it was tied to that place where they wanted to be. Often, as we see people encounter demonic forces, it is uh, revealed a display of a supernatural knowledge. Now, why is this? Now, remember, demons are not created, are creators. They are created beings. They're not all-knowing. They're not all-powerful. They're not everywhere. But here's what we do know, is they've been around a whole lot longer than you and me. And they've been observing. And not only that, but they live in this interwoven reality between the physical world and the spiritual world. They see things that you and I don't see. Now, the reason I bring this up, we don't need to be naive or dismissive about what's taking place here. Often we'll see knowledge revealed, whether it's uh, languages that a person shouldn't know how to speak or knowledge that they shouldn't know. There's demonic forces at work. But it's not only knowledge, but also demons possess a supernatural strength. All right, what happens with this guy? All right, he's chained up. And over and over and over again, he's breaking the chains. Nobody can subdue him. I don't know about maybe some of you in the room or are further advanced than me, but I have not reached my level of physical fitness just yet where I'm breaking chains on a regular basis. This guy's displaying a supernatural strength. And similarly, often when people encounter a demonic force, 
There's a display of a strength that defies reality that should not be. Another truth that we discover here is that demons can overpower us. This man possessed by the legion of demons was not of his own power. Just like the man that I encountered, he was doing things he did not want to do, saying things he did not want to say. The guy was living in a cemetery. He was not under his own control and he's crying out for help. And you and I, if we're not careful, will be overpowered by the demonic world. And there are three things that we can do that will big time set us up for failure. One is that if we just ignore this whole thing altogether, I mean, think about it. If you're at home in your bed and you're sleeping soundly and, you know, you're just having a wonderful night's sleep and somebody breaks into your home and they come into your bedroom, are you going to say, I don't believe in you, go on your way? If you say that, you're going to be in some big old trouble, right? Just because I don't believe in you doesn't mean you're not a reality. And often by our unbelief, we find ourselves in bigger trouble than we would be otherwise. Maybe it's not that we refuse to believe or we ignore, but maybe we realize it's true. And because, you know, I'm a Christian and I'm a good person and we dismiss it. You know, I'm not going to encounter this. I'm not going to have to deal with this. Let me, let me just help you understand something. So much of the time, we believe the lie that if I say yes to Jesus, then I can coast the rest of my life and everything's going to be wonderful. Well, I'm here to tell you when you say yes to Jesus, especially if you say yes to a call he has on your life, you are in the front lines and demons have you on their radar and you're going to be under attack. Do not dismiss it. Or maybe we don't dismiss it. Maybe we go to the other extreme and everything is spiritual. Everything is demons, right? Listen, sometimes a flat tire is just a flat tire. (laughs) But we need to have some discernment about what is and what isn't. All right, and here's the, the final truth that we see here is that demons are no match for Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Why is it that the demons cry out to Jesus? Because they know they're in trouble. They know that this is the end game for them. It is over. They have no authority over the creator of the universe who took on flesh and came into the world. That's good news for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and surrendered your life to him and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? You are sealed against the spiritual forces of darkness. Let me just say it clearly. For the Christian, Holy Spirit-filled follower of Jesus who submitted to his lordship in their life, for that person, there is no possession of demonic forces. You are sealed by the power of God. However, that does not mean that we don't come under attack. Which begs the question for us, if I'm a believer, if I'm a follower of Jesus, listen, if you come to church and and you're a good person and, and you believe the Bible, but you haven't confessed Jesus and you're not filled by the Spirit, we need to stop right there and you you need to have a conversation with the God of the universe. But for those of us who are following Christ and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what does that mean for us? What do we need to know? Well, Paul actually addresses this 
In Ephesians chapter 6, he writes a letter to Ephesus. I will argue that the entire book of of Ephesians is a, a, a discourse on spiritual warfare. If you read through it, challenge you to read through it and and see what you think for yourself. But in Ephesians chapter 6, it becomes very clear that we are in a spiritual battle and he gives us as believers some instructions on what we need to do and how we need to be prepared. So Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, this is what Paul says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. You see how even Paul is laying out some of the tears there of the spiritual forces of darkness. There There are rulers, there are powers, there are authorities, there are forces. And he goes on, he says... Therefore, put on the armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. In other words, what Paul is saying is be aware, be prepared. And how is it that we can be prepared? Well, the first thing he says is we need to be prepared for the flaming arrows. He says there is a a scheme of the devil at work. There are spiritual forces against us. There are flaming arrows being fired at us. What are those? One of them is deception. That on a regular basis, even for us, spirit-filled believers, followers of Jesus, submitted to his reigning, his lordship in our life as king of kings and lord of lords, And we are one with Christ. Even those of us, there's deception coming at us. There's little whispers of the demonic forces that would call into question God's truth. And don't miss this. They have an agenda. Number one, they want to divide us. Every single time we see division in the body of Christ, we need to look around. Is there a spiritual attack taking place? They want to discourage us. You take a step out for Jesus and you begin to experience discouragement. They want to stop you from living out the call. And they want to lead us to despair. Now, there is a very real truth of mental illness. But sometimes when you walk into a season and you're feeling the weight of darkness, of despair, of anguish, of just a a want to give up kind of feeling. We might need to look around us and say, Lord, is there a spiritual element to all of this? Am I being told lies that I'm I'm being drawn into? But it's not just deception, it's also disruption. 
Yes, there, there are just parts of life that we live in a broken world and our sin has consequences and our bodies are breaking down. But there are also moments in life where spiritual forces of darkness intercede in our life to disrupt us from what God's called us to do. And we might experience a season or a moment of hardship or pain or suffering that is intended to stop us in our tracks. And we need to pay attention. And when that happens, the question is, well, what do we do? Well, we need to be prepared with God's power. Not just for the enemy, but we're prepared with the power of God by the Holy Spirit given to us. And Paul lays out for us six aspects of what that looks like. He says, put on these six things to be armor for your life by the power of God as you face this battle. Please be aware it's not if you know you're in a spiritual battle or want to be, you are. And so let's pay attention. What do we, how do we do this? Number one, he says, put on truth, the belt of truth. This is the one thing that holds it all together. That we need to embrace truth rather than lies. And really, I want us to, to honestly evaluate in our life. How much of the time do I spend focused on truth and how much of the time do I spend listening to lies? All right, how much of the time am I, I spent talking to, you know, the, this person that loves to just dabble in all this junk? Or how much of this time am I spent entertained by things that are not of truth? Or are listening to the talking heads on TV or radio that are spinning things for their agenda and their platform rather than living in truth? I don't want to spend my life seeing how close I can get to the fire before I get burned. I want to run away from that and embrace God's truth. The second thing he tells us is we need innocence. He calls it the breastplate of righteousness. Now remember, Paul is talking to believers. We're not talking about earning salvation. You back up a few chapters in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is not a works righteousness kind of deal. This is a response to faith. And what are we trying to do? Not earn salvation. What we're trying to do is protect our hearts. God is intending for us to stay in step with him that we might not open ourselves up and be vulnerable to unnecessary harm from the enemy. And so we need to embrace an innocent kind of mindset. Lord, I'm just going to do what you tell me to do. It's not up to me to question whether or not I agree with what's in Scripture. I just am going to follow it and stay in step with you. And so, guys, we need to stop tolerating sin. I mean, sometimes we'll call it something else to make it more tolerable. I got an issue. I got something I'm working through. We need to call it what it is and run away from it. If you've got unchecked pride in your life, you need to bring that to the Lord. You got some unchecked greed or lust or selfishness. We, we need to crucify that, that we can protect our hearts. We need to stop playing around with, with pornography. Stop getting through the end of your day with, with the beer or the whiskey or whatever every single day. Or coping with your pain through a prescription drug or, or some other kind of drug. Listen, it's not to, to beat you down, but it's to protect your heart from unnecessary pain and vulnerability to the enemy. 
We gotta stop playing around with things that we think are funny, but guys, they're not funny. Like tarot cards, horoscopes, uh, you know, fortune tellers, Ouija boards, all that kind of stuff. You might think it's not real, but it is very real. As you read through the Bible, God says to the people of Israel, do not do these things. You know why? Because these things are real. Like God doesn't say don't play with unicorns because you don't have to worry about unicorns. But he says, don't do these things because they're real and there's a power of darkness and evil behind it. Don't play with that. Let's re-embrace a spirit of innocence. Number three, we need an intimacy with Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus. Paul says, you need to have fitted to your feet the readiness of the gospel that comes. It's the message of what? Peace. You look around our world, our world does not have a whole lot of peace. A lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, a lot of fighting, a lot of darkness, a, a lot of taking advantage of vulnerable people, a lot of evil junk in the world. Do you want peace in your life? You know where that comes from? In the midst of all the uncertain stuff that you know why it's uncertain? It's because there's dark forces ruling it and at work. You want peace in your life? You need to build an intimacy with Christ. Walk with him. That's no accident. He says, these are the shoes that we put on with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Because I'm walking with Jesus in prayer, talking to him, listening to him, in his word, worshiping him, a con constant and continual awareness of him and listening for his voice moment by moment, day by day. I want to, and I hope you do too, I want to know clearly the voice of God when I hear it so that I can discern it from all the other voices, so that I can have peace. Number four, Paul says, we need to have the shield of faith. I call it trust. Where I'm trusting my life to God. And why is this important? Because as the enemy attacks, you're gonna have a choice to make. I'm gonna face this attack my way or God's way. And I just know by my own track record, when I choose my way, I get myself in deeper trouble every time. But you know what it takes to choose God's way? It requires me to trust Him, to step into things that I don't understand and I don't know where it's leading and I don't know what the cost will be. But I've got to trust God enough to do it His way so that I can be protected against those attacks of the enemy. And then he says, put on the helmet of salvation. Why the helmet? Well, your head is the most vulnerable place on your body. An attack on the head is more deadly than an attack on any other place in your body. And God knows that we are a vulnerable people to the spiritual forces and the powers and authorities. And we need the protection of God by the saving work of Jesus. It's not just about getting to heaven. But when the blood of Christ atones for my sin and yours, when Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, when he went to the grave for three days and then he rose from the dead to have victory over sin and death, he did it not just that you have a rain check, but he did it so that you could have the power of God living in you and the Holy Spirit would seal you from the powers of darkness to protect you. That's why this is so critical. And I wanna encourage you to really wrestle with this. Listen, I'm not asking you to question your salvation, 
but I want you to have a biblical understanding of what salvation is. It is not just believing that Jesus is who he said he is. You know who else does that? The demons. They know who Jesus is even better than you and me, but they're not submitted in faith. Salvation is when I come and I confess with my mouth and I trust with my heart that Jesus is what? He is Lord and he's in charge of my life. I'm submitted to him. I'm surrendered to him. And then I have the gift of the Holy Spirit that seals my life. That's what we have to have. And then he gives us one weapon. He says, it's the sword of truth. It is the word of God, God's word. I look at the life of Jesus and he encountered Satan in the, in the wilderness and Satan's trying to tempt him. And how did he respond? Did he call down angels to protect him? Did he reveal his transformed post-resurrection appearance? Did he come in glory? No, he used God's word. He stood on the truth. We need to satiate our lives with this, guys. We put it on your mirrors in your house. Put it in your car. Have a, a daily reading. Walk through the Word with somebody. Surround yourself with God's Word. You need to know it because the dark forces of evil also know it. And they will use it against you. You've got to be prepared and understand what the Word of God says. That's why we're doing this series, so that you understand the biblical truth of a very twisted and messed up message of our world. Be prepared with the truth of God. Live in it. Pray over it. Ask God to, to reveal it to you. And I do a little prayer every day, and I, I get up in the morning, and I, and I read this I've shared this with you before. Just a quick little prayer. God, give me eyes to see what you're doing. Give me ears to hear what you're saying. Give me a heart to understand. So I need to know from you what this word says. And so here's where I'm landing, guys. I'm almost at the point of just getting on my knees and begging you. Take this seriously. It's not a game. We're not playing around. This is for real. Your lives are at stake. Our, our eternity's at stake. Even for those of us who are in Christ, the purpose and mission of your life is at stake if you give in to the discouragement or the, the division or the despair. And we need to be aware of it and be ready and prepared. And if you've just been playing around with this, you know, you come to church and you believe a doctrine and you've been to Bible studies, but Jesus is not Lord, you're vulnerable. And this is reality. And today might be the day where you come and you say, God, I'm tired of playing games. It's not about religion. It's not about a label. It's not about church membership. It's not about a state of beliefs. It's about walking with you. And I need you in my life. I need to be surrendered to you fully. I need the Holy Spirit. And you can ask for that today. Jesus says, there's one thing, God will never say no. He'll always say yes. And that's when we ask for the Holy Spirit. And you can ask for that today. So I'm gonna open up these prayer rails. I'm gonna, if you'll stand, I'm gonna pray for all of us. But if you need to come and pray for somebody, 
You need to come pray for your, yourself. Maybe you're walking through a spiritual warfare right now. Uh, maybe you realize you've just been playing games. Maybe you realize there's some stuff happening and you haven't called it what it is and you need the Holy Spirit to move. Then I'm gonna ask you to come and say, Lord, I, I need your help. Because we're one, in one of a few places in every moment, if we're under spiritual warfare, we're under attack, you're either clear by prayer and discernment in the Word of God that this is what it is. If that's where you are, you need to surround yourself with believers, follower of Jesus, Holy Spirit-filled people. Get yourself surrounded by the body of Christ and confront it with prayer. Call it what it is. Call upon the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus when we call on Him by faith. It's not a tool. It's not a game. But when we say, Lord, I need Christ to move, He moves. Or maybe you're not sure. Maybe you need to come and pray because you're not sure about what you're walking through and you need a prayer of discernment. God, give me clarity. But it's the same thing. Surround yourself with the body of Christ and say, I need some people to pray for me to help me understand what's going on. But we need to respond in faith. And we need to be aware. We don't need to be playing games with this anymore. So let me pray for us. And if you need to come pray about anything or everything, you can do that. If you want to wave one of the pastors over, just we'd be glad to pray with you as well. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you give us an awareness of the spiritual world. Give us an awareness of this reality that there is a rebellion in the spiritual places rooted in a desire to take your place and they hate you and so they come after us. Father, we need your protection. We need your clarity and discernment. God, we need sometimes repentance to stop flirting with things that we shouldn't be flirting with that allow us to be vulnerable to attack. God, we need courage to walk with others, courage to call things what it is. God, we need your power, the Holy Spirit power living in us to teach and guide and enable and empower us. And Lord, I believe there's somebody here today or somebody watching online where they need to stop playing games with Jesus and let him be Lord. They're vulnerable because the Spirit of God is not living in them. They're not one with Christ because they've not truly confessed Jesus as Lord of their life. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would work right now in this moment with the truth of the gospel. Remove the veil from their eyes and their face that they could see the truth and surrender to Jesus. Walk into eternity right now with the sealing of the Spirit of God. Come and do what you need to do by the, accomplishing the purpose of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.